0: Have asked that the sermon tonight introduce the theme for our annual family visiting, and that theme is Rejoice in the Lord Always, and it's taken from our text, Philippians 4, verse 4. If you have your Psalter in front of you, and if you'd open in the Psalter in the back section to, to page 131, reading. Article 23 of our church order, the church order of Dort, the same synod that produced the five points of Calvinism, also produced the practice in the churches of family visiting. And it's at the end of this article. If you're looking at Article 23, it talks about the office of the elder and that their duty is uh, to take heed to the minister of the word and their fellow elders and that after the lord's supper and his circumstances made demand and now these words for the edification of the church to visit the families of the congregation in order particularly to comfort and to instruct the members and also to exhort others in respect to the christian religion so there is where the practice comes from and then also Uh, The church visitors, when they come to visit your consistory, one of the answers that the church visitors sent by the classes will always ask, do each of the families and the members receive a visit, a family visit from the elders? The practice is a biblical practice. It's not simply a tradition of men. But you will recall with me when the Apostle Paul in Acts 20 Rehearses how he labored in Ephesus. He called the Ephesian elders to him and he says to them, you will remember that I labored night and day and I went from house to house. So it's a time, it's a good time. I can remember, remember as a boy that in those days we had to put on our Sunday clothes and my father would say to me, to us, Christ is coming to our house tonight. And then I'd see these men coming to our house that I knew. And then I began to understand his point that Jesus Christ, through an office and through weak, sinful men, comes to us into our home. A very special time to build us up in our faith. And we pray. God's blessing on that in this congregation. I'd like to read now our passage. Uh, that's Philippians 4. If you have your Bible open now before you, Philippians is a favorite epistle for us. The epistle of the Philippians shows the warmest connection that the Apostle Paul had with any congregation. He had a great love for this congregation, and they had a great love for him. Chapter 4 of Philippians. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Herodias and beseech that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, that's most likely a reference to the pastor of Philippi. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me notwithstanding. Ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity not because I desire a gift but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all And abound, I am full, having received the Epaphroditus, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Verse 4. rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice 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 in the lord Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you haven't heard yet, again I say unto you, rejoice. That's the word of Christ, of God, to you and to me tonight. How do you respond? Would the word joy characterize you? Would you use the word joy as one of the principal words to express your faith in Jesus Christ? How do you respond to this word of God? How do you respond when things upsetting? troubling, difficult, extremely trying to your heart come into your life, come into the church, come into your family. Do we choose the words then bitter, hopeless, angry, resentful, or at bottom, Do you have joy in Christ? Do you hear these words that have been chosen for our theme in family visiting simply as a spiritual pep talk? Yes, yes, we should be happy, but that's really not realistic. Have we already concluded in our hearts that that's not realistic? Rejoice in the Lord always? All the time? Really? Maybe those words when you compare them to some of the things that God has sent by his providence into your life and that you are experiencing right now, maybe those words even hurt you. I'm supposed to be joyful about this? Is this possible? That the primary response of our hearts is always joy in the Lord. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is Holy Scripture. And we understand in Holy Scripture that God never calls us to do something that is impossible by His grace. And that when God comes with this imperative, and that's what it is, it's a command, an imperative, rejoice in the Lord, then... We cannot respond to it by saying, I can't do that. Then what we should say, to be honest, is, I won't do that. It's not I can't, by the grace of God. Verse 13, I can do all things, says Paul, through Christ who strengtheneth me. Rejoice in the Lord always. As the church father Augustine expressed to God Command what thou wilt, but give me grace to obey thy commands. Now joy is the central theme of the book of Philippians. It's mentioned 16 times. We don't have time tonight to go through Philippians. That would be a good practice on this theme of joy, that you read the entire epistle, and you use the entire epistle in your family visits. But in this epistle where Paul is writing from the prison in Rome and he's chained between two Roman guards, his theme is joy. He constantly expresses to them his own joy in this epistle over the circumstances of his life which were extremely hard. And he is constantly expressing his joy in them, the first verse. "'My dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown.'" He rejoiced in his fellow saints. He admonished them in the the verses that follow of two women who were at odds with each other. He said in the second chapter, "'My joy is that I see you like-minded in your faith, loving one another.'" The entire epistle is an epistle of joy, Paul had, by the grace of God, deep in his heart, joy in the Lord. He had a settled, now I'm going to be defining joy, he had a settled disposition in his heart, in his soul, of pleasure and joy in his Lord Jesus Christ holding him all the time. And God writes to us and says, this is not an option. This is not for the elite. This is not possible if your circumstances are good. But God commands it. He commands it to us by his grace through Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord, always. So I want to point out to you from the text that this is indeed a striking imperative. And then secondly, the only, or we see the possibility in the Lord. And then point out to you that God is calling us that this be a continual practice, always. Now what jumps off the page, and so strikes us this evening, as we know ourselves, I trust, is that this is an imperative. It's not try to rejoice in the Lord, but it is imperative, rejoice. It is a present, active imperative, so that even without the word always, we could translate the verse, keep on rejoicing in the Lord. He adds the word always, not because it was necessary, but exactly because he realizes that this is going to strike us. Keep on always rejoicing in the Lord. Is there some mistake? And the apostle says, no, always. And again, I say, rejoice. And it's so striking to us because we do not believe that we can control our emotions we say to each other, I'm not happy. I'm down. I'm angry. I'm bitter. We believe that emotions conquer us and we cannot do anything against them. But this word of God, now hear the words, this word of God is based upon this truth, that emotions in the Christian's heart can be commanded by God and by the Holy Spirit. God calls us to respond to all that he does in joy. You'll note that in chapter 4 you have a long list of imperatives and of commands and they have in common all deal with how I feel. Verse 4, verse 6 rather be careful be anxious for nothing that's a feeling worry anxiety being the feeling of being overcome too much again in verse 8 finally he says and he gives a list of various things and he says think on these things and we say how can i control my imaginings, and my thinkings. And the word of God tonight now is saying to us, joy, as it is an emotion, it is, but joy is the settled disposition of our hearts in Jesus Christ as we find pleasure in him and we rest in him. So the force of the exhortation is clear. Joy is not a suggestion. It's not simply a goal that we should agree that we should have more joy in our church life and in our Christian calling. It's not for some whose temperament just seems to be a little bit more upbeat than mine, but it is for every Christian. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. My brethren, that includes sisters, that includes children and young people. That's all of us. We are the brothers and sisters of Christ. Rejoice always. This command is not unique, it's striking. But it's not unique in the Bible. And I said, I suggested to you now. In your family visiting time this this fall. Make this epistle an object of your reading. But in addition to that. Do some study. On the word rejoice. And joy. And you'll soon see that. This is not unique in the scriptures. Just page through the psalm. I chose Psalms 33, 34, and 37. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous. Praise is comely for the upright. Psalm 34, that we sang, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 37. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Psalm 4. Thou hast put gladness in my soul more than in the time that their corn and wine increased. Psalm 4 is being written by David as he's being pursued by his son Absalom, his own son, who desires to kill him. Thou hast put gladness in my soul more than in the time When there was the increasing of things that make men happy, corn and wine, I had a joy, a gladness in my soul, resting in the Lord. Think of Jesus. Boys and girls, how would you characterize Jesus? What kind of a man was he? Well, the Bible tells us he was a joyful man. And his joy was in his God. Psalm 45. God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Yes, he's the man of sorrows to whom we can come with all of our hurts and trials. He's acquainted with grief. He's the man of deep, deep sorrow. But at the bottom, he was a man who joyed in his God. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Who for the joy concerning Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. It was his joy in God which gave him to endure. And we could go on and on through the words of Jesus when he said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, rejoice and be exceedingly glad For so persecuted they the prophets. We could go to the apostles, each one, Peter and Paul. Peter, 1 Peter 4, 4, 12 and 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing is happening unto you. But rejoice and be glad, for so persecuted they the prophets." Joy, then, is not a side blessing in the Christian life. It is not simply something nice to have occasionally. It is not that we would say, well, joy is not all that important. Our duty is the thing that's important to do our Christian duty. Sincerity is important to, do, to be sincere. And that's true. Our Christian calling and our sincerity and honesty, these things are very important. But joy is not dispensable. Joy is not icing on the cake. Joy is not simply a human emotion when I am happy. But joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace it's central joy and I'll keep coming back to the definition joy is the settled disposition of the heart of a child of God resting in God and having pleasure in God in his gracious salvation is an emotion it's something we feel but it's something that God commands God commands an emotional response to him We are not stones. Of course he does. He comes to us in the midst of the storm and he says what? Peace. Still. It's I. He comes to us in our sorrows of parting and death and he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Now this point is crucial. A Christian is not simply one who assents. No. Now, young people and children, listen. A Christian is not simply one who assents, who believes, who confesses, who knows certain doctrines. Is that a Christian? Yes. Is that crucial yes but a Christian is not simply one who can list off the doctrines a Christian is not simply one who performs his duties and walks a certain lifestyle before the world is that a Christian it certainly is a Christian but a Christian the issue of Christianity goes deeper than that it's something far more reaching why Why do we know those doctrines? Why do we want to live that lifestyle? Why do we take our duty seriously as a child of God in this world? Why do we do that? For the joy of it. The regenerated heart that God gives to us, that replacement spiritual surgery, that new heart that God gives by grace and by grace alone, that new life in Christ is joy in Christ. It is our response to the salvation of Christ. We're not dead sticks, but we respond to that love of God for me. And the characteristic response The fundamental response is joy in the Lord. God commands that. Be glad in the Lord. God does not simply command actions, do this. He does. He commands the attitude in which it is to be done, the attitude of our church life. He says, don't hate. That's a strong, sinful emotion. But love. He says, don't covet. But he says, be content. He says, don't fear. But trust. He says, don't lust. But be holy. He says, don't despair. but rejoice God may command these because he has placed these in us by the Holy Spirit so that we might rejoice in him this is why he created us why did he make us that we might the Westminster Creed that we might know God and enjoy him Forever. Why did he save us? That deep down, always, we might joy in him. The gospel comes tonight in this theme. The gospel of God's grace and love comes in this theme to call us to repentance. A gloomy, morose, bitter Christian is sinning no less than a Christian who's living in hate, in lust, and in covetousness. We may put it this way. If Christian living is to us a drag and something to be endured... Do I have to do this? If that's the way it is with us, then there is a cloud of darkness in our hearts and an unthankfulness to our God in our souls. And we must repent. Yes, we struggle with depression. Sometimes chronic depression, our flesh, and even the makeup of our bodies. And the Lord knows that. We can be helped sometimes with medical help. At other times, we struggle with the Lord's way. We become discouraged in the church. We love the church, and we become discouraged under her trials. At other times, there's pain in our bodies, persistent, ongoing, continual pain. There comes to us sometimes to be a widow. There comes the death of a child. And we drop down to our knees in sorrow. And God calls us, and he knows our sorrows, and he is acquainted with our griefs. And he is filled with loving compassion. And he never forsakes us. And he calls us and says, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Beloved, God is not calling us to do something that is distasteful. He's not calling us to do something that is awful. He is calling us to rejoice in him it's an imperative he may command of which he is the author and he may say rejoice in me and this is not distasteful this is not inconsiderate of my grief, sorrow, pain, trouble this is not impossible this is not optional. This is a wonderful thing. It's possible. For the words are rejoice in the Lord. You can't command an unbeliever to be happy and to rejoice. He can't be. No one who does not know the Lord personally by grace, can't be and will not be joyful. This joy is a response to God himself in our souls. Psalm 34, They looked unto him, and their faces were lightened. This poor man cried, and the Lord Heard him. Joy, I say the definition again, is the deep, settled response, disposition of the heart of the child of God to God himself. We're perhaps more used to and more comfortable if I were to say the God-given response of our heart to God is awe. For his majesty, the heartfelt response to God is humility. And that's true. But it's also this, joy. Peter says, whom having not seen, ye love. And with joy unspeakable and full of glory, you wait for him. Now the reference to in the Lord in our text this evening is a reference to, of course, to God, but the Lord, but the reference here in Philippians is to the enthroned Jesus Christ. And you can read the second chapter, verses nine through eleven, where the apostle says that God has highly exalted him and made him Lord, so that it is his his knees. That before him every knee shall bow. It's the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. Joy in him. Or we may put it this way. Our joy is in all that God in his grace has done for me in Jesus Christ. That's the Christian. A Christian must be born unto joy. He recognizes all that God has done for me in Jesus Christ by grace alone, my Lord and Savior. That's the source of my joy always. If we try to find joy in anything else, we are going to be disappointed. Our circumstances, we're happy right now with our little family. But that's going to change. We're happy with our job, but that can change. We're happy with our friends, but friends can fail. If we make money, it's very expensive, but somehow we seem to have money to pay for these high things. If our joy is pleasures... If our joy is possessions, all these things, says the Bible, will take wings and will fly away. But God will not disappoint. God will not change. God will not forsake. He is a fountain of joy. Psalm 16, at thy right hand, God's right hand, and who is at God's right hand? Jesus Christ. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. God in Christ does not disappoint. And so we must pursue our joy in God, in Christ. The world And our sinful flesh and the devil despises joy in the Lord. The world wants you to say, you should have your pleasure in this life. You should have your pleasure in you. You. Redefine you. Glorify you. Make yourself big, beautiful you. You. Our flesh turns to our own way and says, Lord, I will be happy and joyful if you give me what I want. The devil looks at, tries to get us to look at ourselves and say, You're a fake. You're nothing but a sinner. You're all talk. You talk about believing in Christ, but it's not in your life. And so we have to fight. We fight for joy. And the weapons are spiritual. The weapons are the word of God. His word as our lamp and shield. Prayer. Our weapons are obedience. Walking in his ways. And our, ref- and our weapon is the fellowship of the saints of God. The church. I love thy saints. They are dear and precious to me. This is the gateway. This is the way to joy. The Word of God, prayer, the fellowship of God's people, and walking in the truth. John says, You will remember the words when I say them I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The truth of the Holy Scriptures. The truth of who God is. Joy is to delve into the word of God. The holy scriptures. To know him through the holy scriptures. If we have little joy. Then we're not delving into these scriptures. Isaiah 66. To this man will I look. To him that trembleth at my word. God delights to show himself to us in his word. The truths of Jesus Christ, his birth, his death, the gospels of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation, the truth the truth that the church teaches here. This is our joy. This is our hope. These are the things of our salvation. These are the things that keep our heart up. And therefore, we say, this Bible must be the inspired Holy Scriptures must be what we hear in this church. And if they take parts of it out and they say this part's not true and that part's not true and they cont- if men begin to contradict this truth, what are they doing? They're taking away our joy in the Lord. We joy always... In the Lord. What is joy? It is the settled disposition of the heart born of grace which takes pleasure in the Lord all the time, continually. I said when we began the sermon that that's the striking. And that's the sticking point. Always. I can't do that. Today, tomorrow, in death, when my health goes away, sickness, depression, am I supposed to put a plastic smile on my face? And the scriptures say, no, it's not a plastic smile. It's not hypocrisy. God sends us manifold trials. But this is the Lord who is speaking. And therefore, we can't argue. He knows the things that we go through. And he says, rejoice. In me And then we come to him tonight and we say, "Yes, Lord, I understand, but help me. help me." And here are four ways that we will be helped in doing this. Number one, the first way is what I've already said. this is God telling us I'm not telling you this God is telling me this the one who is telling us this is not someone who doesn't and your way in life the possibility is God himself God if he tells us to do this will give us grace In Christ to do it. Number two. Let us all remember. That God. Often deepens our joy. Not just in blessings. But in trials. Heavy trials. Heartbreaking trials. And those circumstances of trial. That you are going through tonight. Are not designed by God to crush you and to leave you bloody and bruised on the side of the road. But they are sent to strengthen his work of grace in your heart. Trials work in exceeding great good. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6 The Apostle says of the Thessalonians, Ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. Those two, affliction and joy, go together. So our joy is not always a smile. Our joy does not exclude from our life weeping and falling down and crying out to God. But we know that our trials are sent of God for a purpose to strengthen us in him and to turn our hearts to that which is true joy. Psalm 73 After he was tried the psalmist says and whom have I in heaven but thee and there's naught that I desire beside thee. Number four we are strengthened in rejoicing always when we are reminded of the perfection of our joy in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the Dutch Psalters, maybe you'll remember it with me, but it came to my mind on this point, when the Dutch Psalter goes this way, way, our joy shall then unbounded be when we shall see God's face eternally. Oh, that joy that is before us will not disappoint us. All our sorrows, all our trials... All our weepings will be gone, not only gone, but we will see in the light of his face how they worked, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of joy. How do we do this continually? This is God's word to do it, and he'll give grace. God often chooses trial To work it deep, God reminds us of the joy that is before us. And then finally, joy is found in submission to the will of the Lord. We'll never have joy apart from the grace of submission the confession that God is good and good all the time. Confessing that God is God and I am not. I am a sinner saved by grace. In 1932, Presbyterian pastor He, he had a wife and three daughters he lived in the Pittsburgh area his wife was expecting their fourth child he had three daughters and in the delivery his wife died and the baby died as well he asked one of his minister friends to preach the sermon and history tells us that he sat near the front with his three daughters and the minister as he preached noticed that this minister who had lost his wife was writing and after the sermon he asked him what were you writing and he showed him a poem that he had written. My father's way may twist and turn, my heart may throb and ache, but in my soul I'm glad I know he maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see, my eyesight far too dim, but come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift, and plain all he will make, he maketh no mistake. Though night be dark, and it may seem that day may never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him, he maketh no mistake. He has made no mistake in your life. He has made no mistake in this church. He will never make a mistake. He is leading all things to his glory and to our joy in him. And now the world, we stand before the world And they must see something in us. They must see something not of this world. They must see joy in him. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And if we've missed it, again, I say, rejoice. Amen. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for thy word. We know that it is expounded to us in weakness and in sin. Thy word is infinitely vast, rich, and true, it exceeds our own knowledge the experiences of our life and our heart let God be true and every man a liar and now Lord thou hast spoken to us a sweet and a wonderful word and open our hearts by the spirit and that we may hear it no matter our circumstance rejoice in the Lord always and again I say, rejoice. Amen.